0: Burrow, sets up fires to the end zone. Edwards Elair touchdown.
1: Andrew Dowdy here on the High Motor Podcast, the midweek episode of the High Motor Podcast. Going to be talking with. Brett McMurphy here in a bit on playoff expansion, and expansion is that evergreen topic, right? It's always just kind of sitting there for us to talk about. We can talk about it all year round regardless if there's actual news, and in my opinion, it gets a little bit old. That speculation, those scenarios get a little bit old without actual news, but I think this is some actual news from Brett McMurphy. His article last week surveying FBS ADs, 88% of whom are in favor of expansion, so, 72% of ADs favor an 18 playoff, according to his survey. And then the other 16% of that favor a 16 uh, team playoff, a 16 playoff, or another format. That's actual news. With 88% of ADs in favor of that. So, Brett is going to join us here in a minute. And then after him, it's going to be Sam Schwartzstein, XFL Director of Football Operations, former Stanford offensive lineman. He spent the last two years with the XFL writing their rules and leading the football operations. Going to chat with him about last week's news on the league's suspension, looking ahead with him and more. Brett McMurphy, Sam Schwartzstein coming up on the High Motor Podcast. Brett McMurphy of Stadium back on the High Motor podcast, and Brett, first for you, you, you opened that that playoff expansion article by saying that expansion is the nightmare of playoff executive director Bill Hancock. Do you know specifically why Hancock is so against expansion right now?
2: Well, he's been against expansion since the playoffs started six years ago, and that's why they did a twelve-year contract um, to to guarantee that it would stay at fourteen. teams. Because that was their biggest fear. Because if you go back even a little bit further, if you remember that the, the commissioners and the BCS folks and all those those people were saying, look, nobody wants a playoff, we don't want a playoff. And then we, that suddenly changed. So, um, you know, they they realized that it's going to expand at some point, and that's why it is a 12-year deal. And their fear is that it will diminish the regular season. I actually think it will... Put more importance on the regular season because we'll see better quality out of conference games. Because now, um, you know, I think the power teams will know that they they can play these good home and home other Power Five teams and know that one or one or two losses won't necessarily knock them out. And I know it sounds like I'm contradicting what I'm saying by saying you could lose more games. However, I think it puts more importance on the higher seeding. Because in the eight playoff, at least the ads prefer by a slight margin, it doesn't mean it's locked in stone or anything, that those games would be played on the campus side to the four highest strength teams. So if you've got a home game in that first round of the playoffs, that's obviously a huge benefit as opposed to playing at a neutral site where there's really no benefit. And also, if you get the number one seed, probably nine times out of ten, you're going to open up with the group team from the group of five. And so you have the easiest opening round, which obviously helps for later rounds as far as potential injuries and getting worn down and those sort of
1: things. And it was 88% of ADs that you surveyed that are in favor of some sort of expanded playoff. And let's just take, you know, coronavirus out of the equation. I want to ask you about that in a second here. Let's just say that the season is happening as it normally does. Do you think that number of ADs in favor um, has increased significantly over the couple of years? Or do you think it's always kind of been roughly, you know, 9 out of 10, 8 out of 10 of ADs have favored expansion over the last couple of years?
2: I think it's kind of it's kind of grown a little bit. I don't think you know going back six years. I don't think everyone was on board for an eighteen playoff because again we'd never had one. Um, but I think it's pretty staggering to see that many um, many people on board with it. I mean, you can't get eighty eight percent of people to agree that the sky's blue these days. So, um, you know, I think it's a number of reasons. It gives more access. Uh, you know, obviously it. it one of the formats that the group of five would, would get an automatic bid. Um, each of the power five conferences would be guaranteed a bid. So now you don't have one of the power five conferences kind of the odd man out with an 18 playoff. And so I think it just makes, uh, makes a lot of sense with everybody, especially when you compare it. I know it's different than the pro leagues in the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball, et cetera. But when you, you just look at the percentage of playoff teams and in- in the FBS college football level compared with those pro sports compared with the FCS level in football. And it's it's, right now it's like 3%. And every other league is, you know, some of them are as many as 50%. I don't think 60 teams need to be in the playoffs, but certainly it should be more than 3%. So I think um, it just, it's a number of factors and one AD, um, you know, made a great point. He's like, look, we need to have more meaningful, um, post opportunities for, for not only players, but also for the fans. And he said basically that, you know, the bowl games, you know, no longer fit that criteria. Uh, at least the majority of them, they become exhibitions and that's fine. But, um, he said, like it or not, you know, all people really care about are the playoffs. So we should probably give them more playoff games if possible.
1: And then coronavirus related, are financial concerns driving this support? Do you think with ADs looking at that lost tourney revenue, you know, maybe gate receipts this year if they play with no fans? Do you think some ADs are now suddenly favoring expansion, uh, particularly this year to recoup some of that lost revenue?
2: Well, the expansion won't happen for another six years. So, and when I did the survey of the ADs, this was about, it's been now probably about three weeks ago. So certainly a lot has changed. Uh, you know, financially, on as far as all the events that have been closed and everything related to the virus. So I I don't think necessarily it's um, driven by finances, but certainly that would be a consideration. But make no mistake, they're they're not going to expand to eight teams and take less money than a four-team playoff would afford. And also, several A D suggest that if we go to eight teams, if we go to 16 perhaps, Um, we would have to reduce the number of games in the regular season. That's obviously a big hit. So if you're going to reduce money by playing fewer regular season games, then you're going to have to increase money to compensate that for the playoffs. So it wasn't financially motivated. I really don't think that. But obviously, it's they're not going to expand to make less money also.
1: So you don't think there's any chance that that we could have an expanded playoff before this 12-year deal is up. They couldn't reverse course and say in the next year, next two years, we're going to do this. They have to wait for the 12 years, in your opinion.
2: Yeah, because even if, let's say, and I know it sounds
1: simple, like, well, let's just redo the deal. Well, that's great. You could redo the deal for the playoff.
2: But the problem is you've got 40 other bowl games that would be impacted by this. And they all have six-year deals through the 2025 regular season. So even if you could get the college football playoff reworked to add an additional four teams, now you're taking away from the 40 other bowl games um that have contracts to get, you know, a certain selection or a certain team from a certain conference. And if those teams are not available as indicated on the contract, then obviously you're, you're violating those contracts. So, and again, the other, the other factor is, at least right now, now, you know, if this season gets canceled and we don't play any football in 2021, maybe they tear it up and say, we, we need to go to 18s right away. Um, but if we do get the season in, also, you know, up to this point, the university presidents are fine with the, with the 14 playoff and that they ultimately make the call. And the other thing, which is, you know, it's great to say, oh, we want to have 18s and we want to play these games here or there. The one thing that nobody has figured out yet, or at least agreed upon, is when we would actually play the first round of the playoffs. You know, would you cut the regular season a game and and then play it then? If you keep the regular season the way it is, at least currently, the the presidents don't want to play the week after the conference championship games because that is basically finals week. The week after that's Christmas, so they don't want to play then. The week after that's New Year's where we have the semis. Do you move the season up a week? If you move the season up a week, then you've got a lot of traditional games, you know, around Thanksgiving that now are moved up to different dates. I mean, there's a number of factors. There's not an easy solution. So, um, you know, the main reason right now is they're, they're happy with four, at least for the next six years. It's not like the, there's this huge outcry that we need to get to eight immediately. But uh, obviously when 88% want it to get to eight, excuse me, we will – you know, just, just we just. Bad is we got to wait another six years.
1: So you said that university presidents are the ones that ultimately make the call here, and not to at all diminish your reporting, but with eighty-eight percent of ads, how much? How much does that matter? How much power? do these ADs have, um, I'm guessing when you say that university presidents are in favor of 14 playoffs, it's nowhere near 88% of, of university presidents that want expansion then. So I guess where does the power ultimately lie? Does this matter um, at all unless we get the university presidents on board for expansion?
2: Well, yeah, because the university presidents are basically going to do what the ADs tell them as far as athletics. I mean, that's why they hire the athletic directors. You know, the majority of of university presidents, and this is not a slide on them, but they're not, they don't know a lot about athletics. And that's why they have these ADs. And so the ADs are going to present them, you know, when they have this discussion, uh, you know, in a couple years or whatever, um, you know, they'll obviously be talking to their ADs, and their ADs will give them the the pluses and the minuses for expanding. And I'm sure they'll have follow-up questions. But for the most part, the university presidents rely very heavily on the athletic directors. So that's why I surveyed the athletic directors because they've got the direct link to the presidents and they also deal with their conference commissioners. And obviously the conference commissioners are going to do what's best for their individual schools um, within their their own conferences. So that's why I reached out. I mean, that's a good question, but that's why I reached out to the ADs as opposed to the coaches, where the coaches... (laughs) No offense, but they have, they have no uh, impact on whether we're going to expand or not. They, 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 they have their opinions, make no mistake, but ultimately it's going to be the ADs um, You know, you make the recommendations to the presidents and then they go from there.
1: You have a couple of times where you say a Power 5 AD said this, a group of 5 AD said that. Is there generally more support for expansion from one of those two sides? Like do P5 ADs favor it more than a G5 AD? How does that, that breakdown generally go?
2: You know, it was it was fairly not exactly the same amount, but it was it was very close. Um, you know, again, overall, it was 72 percent of all of the ADs wanted to go to an 18 playoff. And I think it was the difference between the power five and the group of five was maybe like 10 percent one way or the other. So it wasn't like a huge disparity um for the 18 playoff. Uh not surprisingly, uh, more group of five athletic directors believe that a group of five teams should get an automatic bid. When I asked them, how would the eight teams be broken up? And the most popular model was the five power five conference champions, a group of five champ, and then two at large teams. That was 66% overall. Um, and then you had about 59% of the power five ADs that were in favor of that that format. But then you also had 35% of the ADs who believe the 18 playoff should be the power five champs and then three at largest. And so in that format, the group five would not get the automatic bid. So 30, 35% think the group of five should not get an automatic bid. And that's surprisingly zero. <laughs> uh, John Blutarski's uh, GPA, 0.0 of the group of five ADs voted for that, uh, three-at-large model, and one group of five AD, you know, had a pretty good line. He said, look, if they want to try to go any other way than allowing a group of five team in an 18 playoff, they're opening themselves up to a potential antitrust lawsuit. So I think um, for that simple reason that that's why we'll end up with more than likely the group of five being included in the 18 playoff.
1: And I know you said you, you spoke with these ADs three weeks ago, but but still in speaking w- with them and then in your general conversations around college football, do you sense a, a real concern that the season won't be played this year? Everyone I talk to is optimistic,
2: but everyone has the same feeling, probably the same as you and anyone that's listening, is when do we get the all clear? When, when can we go ahead? When, when does the light turn green? When can things return back to normal? Or at least as close to normal as they were. And until we know when that happens, you can't really make plans, at least specifically, for a college football season. I do know that they are, you know, they know how critical it is to have a season. So if we can't start on August 29th and we have to start two months late, we have to start three months late, we can't start until after Christmas break, they've got a number of different plans to get the season in on time. Um, so i wouldn't say i i wouldn't say they're they are fearful in a way because they know how much it'll impact the, the athletic departments if there is no football season played at all um but they 're just kind of they know it's something they can 't control the virus will determine when we can go back to normal the government officials the health officials whoever it is, and so they 're just kind of waiting it out to see what happens but everyone knows how uh how critical it is that to have a season. And that's why, you know, we could see one of the weirder seasons we've ever seen, um, you know, based on the start date, based on the number of games, based on a number of factors. And so um, that's why, you know, me personally, again, just my opinion, I don't think we'll see college football in the fall. I think we'll see it in the spring. And it's just for a simple reason that I don't believe in a couple of months again, I hope I'm wrong, but I don't believe in a couple of months all of these major university presidents are going to be able to tell all of their tens of thousands of students from all over the world it's now safe to come back on campus and take fall classes. So I think what is more likely to happen is we'll have online classes only in the fall. So if you have no students on campus, you've got no student-athletes, so then you can't play football. So then you would have to move it until after uh, Christmas. But, you know, if something changes and it's safe to bring everybody back, then that's great. We'll have football. Um, but certainly you just look at kind of some of the things that baseball is considering just to get a baseball season in. And I, you know, they don't have to worry about bringing 30 or 40,000 people back on campus. Um, and so that's why, you know, at least my opinion, I think, I think we won't see football until, uh, until after the Christmas break, which means we could see the national semifinals or the national title game sometime around Memorial Day, as crazy as that sounds.
1: And that's a, a contingency plan that the eighties are actively looking at. I mean, are our conferences going as far as, as trying to figure out scheduling for that yet, or, or is it is it too early to actually map out how that plan would work?
2: I mean, they may be, you know, going over some stuff, but right now it's just it's, it's like making plans in the sand by the beach. I mean, the the waves going to come in and in two minutes and wipe it all out. I mean, there's yeah, I'm sure they're looking at some different things, but the, again, they're they're looking at a lot of different things. Whether it's to start September first or October first, um but are they sitting there mapping out an entire? You know, we're going to start on January fifteenth and then we're going to end on May thirty first. I don't know if they're that detailed because we still are a few months off. I'm sure. You know, there are, I know there's people in various conference offices that are kind of, you know, coming up with, um, some drafts or how some things may work, but I don't think they're getting as specific as, well, hey, you know, April, April 17th, um, you know, Texas Tech will be at Oklahoma State that week or anything like that. When we get closer and when we know, then certainly, yeah, obviously they'll drill down into all that stuff.
1: All right, that's Brett McMurphy of Stadium. That article we're referencing titled AD's Overwhelmingly Favor Expanded College Football Playoff on WatchStadium.com. Brett, thanks so much for the time and insight, and uh, have a good week, and stay safe. Thanks, Andrew. The XFL suspended operations on Friday, four weeks after the season was halted after five games, and Sam Schwartzstein. XFL director of football operations kind enough to drop by the show, and, and Sam, you know, what's the feeling been like over the last few days after spending the previous two years building up this league?
0: Yeah, so today was a weird day. Um, you know, I think like everyone who's lost their jobs, the weekend you, I lost it on Friday, and now going on Monday, I don't have to solve a spring football league startup football league problem where it had been my life for about two years. Um, as the first employee hired after all the luck, so uh, it is. It is a little bit different. I think you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, I know why everything happened the way it did. But um, and you know, in the nature of the world, I know we're in a, the craziest time we'll likely be in for my life. So that's understandable. But you know, it's, it, it was a different weekend. Great messages from a lot of different people. I'm probably missing the team the most, the group of people that we had built together, as well as seeing. Knowing we had so much left on the table, people were pretty pumped, but anyone who knows football, the first half of the season is very different than the second half in terms of the level of play, knowing how much better we were going
1: to get. What have you personally, and then some of the people you've been working with that team, what have you guys been doing for the last four weeks? Did you you know this was coming, or what have you been up to, really? Internally, no, I did not know
0: this was coming. Externally, knowing how many people have been furloughed, knowing how the business works, knowing how... We rely on playing games to stay in business and, you know, uh, the nature of it. I knew that was the case. Uh, Internally, we've been putting together business plans for um, and researching what would we do if we played or to play next year. How could we do things differently? Uh, My job was really uh, as the head of gameplay was to understand how our game was going, how we can make it better. Um, How do we change things from a talent perspective, from a rules perspective, from an information perspective? kind of doing a redux um the way i looked at it was you know i treated myself like when i was a player what was i doing wrong and trying to fix all those things so we were high on drops passes Um, we were low on red zone conversion rates touchdowns so how do how do we can how do we adjust for that how do we provide that information to our coaches as well as you know i created the first calendar business plan for the xfl um, and then how do we adjust for year two so we had a budget in place we had everything in place it's just Things change pretty fast um, this week,
1: and you said this is really the first day where you haven't been presented with a problem. What what's a, a normal problem that you had? I know that we can go back twenty months and there's been a wide array of what you've been doing over that time. But you know, generally over the last few months, what what is a, a problem that would come up? Just an example of something that comes up in your day to day.
0: So, the, kind of just to give you a little bit of my, my mindset, I was fortunate enough after school to learn from Silicon Valley executives like uh dan Rosenzweig and bill campbell um uh and kind of everything that we did was approach it from a problem solving perspective so what problem are we trying to solve for what does success look like isn't it doesn't big enough to matter um and so for me the problem was for a fan perspective excitement and then on that top of that i have to define what success success for a fan excitement right so um uh, for, for the first one is they want to have less stall more ball. And so that was one of my first things I tried to solve for, is how do we have the same amount of plays as an NFL game, uh, but in 30 less minutes, right? And so we had six less plays than the NFL per game, but we were 25 minutes. Um, uh, we had 25 less minutes of gameplay. So that was like our main problem to solve. So for me, I was looking for how do we get more plays well, we have Tampa Bay running 90 plays a game on offense, but DC was running, um, 57. So, okay, I need to get DC to move faster. What do I help their coaching staff? Or then ultimately is it a rule that I have to change to get them to move faster? So looking at those different metrics and those different things and then what do I have in store? So one of the things is I played for Pep Hamilton in the college at Stanford and we ran, you know, the, probably the fewest plays in college football at the time. Um, and what, what I knew, what I needed to give him was I need to remove the huddle from his system. And so that's why we put in place the coach-to-player communication, all-skill position player headsets, to get a guy who runs pro-style office to not have to use a pro-style function like the huddle.
1: Going back now two years ago, how did this all start for you? I mean, what was the call? You said you were the first person hired after Oliver Luck. You know, what was the call that got things moving forward for you and the XFL personally?
0: So I played football at Stanford. Andrew Luck was a a good friend and roommate of mine. And I had known Oliver for about 10 years at the time. And he called, he sent me a text um, the night before he took the job and said, Sam, I'm taking a job in professional sports. Uh, This could be a great opportunity for you. So he took the job, then he called me the next day and said, hey, I need you to come on. You're going to do two things. You're going to reimagine the game of football and you're going to play great football week one. Um, and that's, that's your goal. So come up with a plan to do so. Um, and so when I got hired on, it was to create that model of understanding how do we define great, good football to get there? What levers do we need to pull to do it? And then when we change the game, how do we set up a true process to change the game? Um, that's well thought out smart so that all the rules work Where you know, uh, we hit all KPIs, which is a key performance indicator on all of our rules except for punt possibly but that might have been me overstepping what our punt could be and our coach is not fully understanding the rule and seeing what it would look like by the end of the year um, uh, as we saw less punts um, in the plus territory towards the end of the year because that's part of the one of the big most booed plays in sports and one of the dumbest plays if you look at the data the teams do but coaches are conservative so um, it was really started with that first text, and then growing from there, building out a team, identifying the right people. we had an amazing team um, with doug Whaley um, Eric Galco about from scouting Eric Galco is one of the eight, uh, bright young stars and uh recruiting right and so uh, for as we built our team i needed i asked uh, two questions to everybody, which is how all and I started what do you love about football and what do you hate about football? I can't have somebody who on our team that thinks, that doesn't like football, I can't have someone on our team that thinks football is perfect. We need to identify that there are things we need to do differently. Um, if you watch the movie Moneyball, a lot of the way we saw it in our talent evaluation from off scouting was thinking about how do we be better at data. Every one of our players was rejected by the NFL, except for Kenny Robinson, who will hopefully get drafted in the first day upcoming. Um, but all of our players were rejected, so no no, no player was scouted correctly if they're good. So we need to be a little bit better on it. Using data um, was important for us. Um, finding the right coaches. Who's going to be able to adapt to our game? We can't have coaches that want to adapt. So in our coach process, identifying what coaches will join us that help us build this great product, but also look at what we're trying to do as a league and play to that strength.
1: What were some of, the, and a lot of the rules got a lot of attention and we've seen even some of the spring games were adopting some of those um, in college football. What were some of the rules that, And you guys considered that ultimately did not make the final cut into the league. So uh,
0: I think the five yard halo was one that we tested. It's probably one of the most tested rules I did. um, Testing with the Mississippi Juco's the spring league multiple times. And at the end of the day, we, we had problems that we want to solve for our punt, which were we wanted to see more returns, less punts overall and less penalties. And we were finding we were having more penalties, on our punt rules, and we were introducing new penalties that fans don't normally see. Where if we wanted to have a flag, we wanted to have it be the same flag structure that you currently have in the game. So they have to learn a new rule, uh, very similar like a legal defense in, uh, uh, the AAF or the USFL. Those were new rules that a fan would have to, or new flags that a fan would have to rule, uh, have, and we didn't want that. So we tested a bunch, a bunch, a bunch, and then, it just it couldn't work. So what we said is, what are we actually solving for? Instead of stop, we want to have more distance for the returner, so it's safer for him to return. So there's less likelihood of him fair catching. So instead of stopping the players once they get to the returner to make an arbitrary five yard halo ruling, let's start. Let's stop them at the start of the play where we already have an official watching the line of scrimmage. So in college football, everyone can leave at the snap. The NFL, all player, or the only players you can leave are the end man on the line of scrimmage outside the numbers, often called the gunner. In our league, we had, all players had to wait till the ball was kicked until they could leave the line of scrimmage. That way, we created an 11-yard distance between the returner and the net closest player, whereas the NFL has a 4-yard to 5-yard uh, distance. So it's more fair catches that way. So we went from NFL having 30% returns to so we had 60% returns. But we wanted ultimately 80% returns. That's, that was our one KPI we missed
1: on. What, what did the testing process look like for that? I mean, how long did it take? How did you guys go about doing it before the league actually started to test that stuff?
0: Yeah. So I got hired in June of 2018. We did a first ideation session. I'm looking at my, my sheet right now and I had, you know, over a hundred rules here going line by line of the NFL rule book, asking why on every single rule they have in place. Um, we ultimately came out of our, uh, our sessions and, my internal group, sent, you know, looking at what rules we could implement, had about 25 that we wanted. And then when we were first tested, we created a predictive model based on all those rules. So anytime we change a rule, we know how it would affect our, our KPIs, of how many plays, how long the game would be. We watched over 50 NFL games from the Syracuse Analytics Club, um, understanding adding about 30 columns of data to uh, the current NFL data set to know, you know everything about the play. Um, uh, then we went and tested with the NJCA December, 2018. We did a three day testing session, ultimately playing a mock half first ever touchdown using XFL rules is a double forward pass, which was pretty exciting. Um, then we tested again with your call football in January more. We tested twice. So everyone knows football changes week to week. A, a season, what makes the season of the, of the NFL culture so beautiful is what you see week one is. If you if you know what you're watching it looks vastly different than week uh, 12. So uh, we 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 went and did a three day session and then did another three day session eight days apart with your call football to see how our coaches would evolve with the rules professional level players, and then we did three testing sessions two that were three days each or four days each and then one that was uh, 12 days with 11 practices, and it was really exciting to see how coaches and players worked with it. We worked with our broadcast partners those days, and so you know. Before fans saw a kickoff, I saw, I saw, before we even got to training camp, I had seen 300 kickoffs, you know, knowing how it would work, being able to adapt to it, knowing that it would, it would be what fans wanted versus other leagues, other, other um, corporations. Like, you know, they, they never tested the, uh, uh, the pass interference rule in the NFL last year. Well, that's not really how you can go about it. You have to test every rule that you're doing so that fans get what they want. That's why, you know, they didn't see all the garbage that I had. right? All the baggage that I had going into it, they got to see a finished product, truly.
1: What, what was the garbage? What, what were some of your bad ideas that you ultimately threw out? The first one that we
0: had, uh, so I was big on, as a former fat guy myself, I wanted a lineman to be able to catch a touchdown and be more integrated. I thought let the end man on line of scrimmage be eligible every time. So really incorporate unbalanced formations, um, in, uh, encourage teams to not have to report eligible because why college football doesn't have to use reporting eligible where the NFL does. College football carries 64 players where the NFL on game day carries 46. So you have so many extra players. You can put extra players in eligible numbers, extra alignment. Um, and so we we wanted to have the smaller rosters for a, from a budgeting perspective. Um, and I wanted to make a sort of alignment. And then that created so many bad formations that didn't look like football that we ultimately scrapped it. Uh, we had both teams on the same sideline, so we didn't have to stand over the ball in substitutions. I still think that one could work. Um, that was a baby of mine. Uh, as a team that, you know, at Stanford, we used to abuse substitution rules quite a bit. Um, so I know if I wanted the teams at the same sideline so they could see who was subbing in very clearly, um, then we would have to stand over the ball so our teams could go faster. Um, but also you could have a ribbon board on the opposite side of the field and that ribbon board could sell advertisements as well as be a digital down and distance marker. Um, so that was a part of it, having a clean sideline, much like soccer has their game. Um, that was one of the things that, you know, just really, we never even got to testing with that one. Uh, as well
1: widening the lens here what would people be surprised to to know about the xfl in your conversations with with people outside of your team outside of the league do you think that there are any misconceptions about the xfl
0: i think what what's been nice is we've been covered pretty fairly um, we weren't extreme we weren't focused on that this was a different version of the xfl than before um, and we really I want people to know how much this team and this group cared about the game of football, right? My main goal um, of why I wanted to take the role of it being a dream job was I wanted to push the game of football forward. And I think with our coach to player, our access, uh, that's what fans will come to expect by the time we play football again. Um, 30 years from now, if we're still playing football, it will likely be with the XFL kickoff. Um, and I'm proud of that because I love this game. Um, our team is really proud of that. Um, that that we all were really passionate about loving the game of football first and foremost.
1: So you say 30 years from now, I got to ask you, do you think that we'll be playing football 30 years from now?
0: I do. I do. I think it's a lot of what we did that will help the game be played. I think there's going to be a lot of understanding about um, football. I think it's the, uh, for me, it's the number one thing that helps me in the workplace is understanding and being able to trust um, other parts of the department. You know, I, I played center at Stanford. I knew what a safety did from my perspective, but I never saw them work. They they worked out at a different time. They did different work exercises. They did different things on the field. But I had to trust that they were going to do their job to win. It's the same way in a business world. Working in sales, you have to trust an engineer to do their job um, for you to be able to do your job when you really don't know their core competencies. So I think football is one of the greatest lesson teachers that you could possibly have. And I think it's part of what makes Um, this country great is being able to have football as part of that. Um, I think we will be playing football. I think think the people who are governing it will have to make sure they take a look at what um, are some of the problems and find unique solutions to solving those problems instead of, you know, uh, turning a blind eye.
1: Sam, what's your plan right now? Any direction? before we hopped on here, you said that you, before the coronavirus stuff hit, you were taking basically your first vacation day in the last 20 months. And now you're kind of, stuck up there in the bay but what is your plan for when all this settles down any direction uh any, any idea of what direction that you'll go
0: i love to stay in football because i still am so passionate about the game i still think there's a lot of things that we can solve in this game um i i want to you know i could go back to the tech world but most importantly i want to find a really fun hard solvable problem with really great people and you know try and do that um Tried my hand. I had a, a masters from Stanford in virtual reality, focused on life, Had a big focus on live streaming. Um, passionate about that. Passionate about talking about the game. So, we'll see what direction I uh, I go. I think that there's some. Um, I made some amazing connections and friends throughout this process. So, we'll see where where I go next.
1: Hey Sam. Yeah. Great talking with you. You know, thanks for the time. Uh, really sorry that things kind of ended for you guys the way they did. And best of luck in the future. No problem. Thanks so much. Have a nice day.
0: I saw a friend today, it had been a
1: while And we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same
2: We talked of knowing one before you met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces